Good morning. He is risen. I know we have to say that because we got to get that. Everybody doing it. Do it one more time. He is risen. Oh, a little louder. Okay. Well, I'm going to go off like I normally do, so I'm just warning you. I, I have these random thoughts, and I, and I was having these random thoughts this week about well-crafted things. And I love well-crafted things. I love craftsmanship. You ever watch somebody make something? You ever watch something being made? I, I, I have a tendency, like, like, people will sit there and they'll binge watch, like, like puppy videos and cat videos on YouTube. I like binge watch lathing videos, bowl making videos, guitar making videos. I'll, I'll just be like totally, f- I can sit there with popcorn. Just come on, is there anybody else in here? Come on, I know there's somebody. Yes, there's one, there's two. Okay, good, there's a few of us. I was a little worried. But I, I, I love the process that things go through to be well-crafted. We all have this stuff that, that we get that, like, man, they don't make it like they used to. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that break, like, after the first week. It's not the same as something that's well-crafted. I love to see the process that a craftswoman or a craftsman goes through in making what they make. I'm fascinated at watching these videos of people creating and watching, um, being a guitar player, watching somebody make a guitar. I got pictures from the guy that made this guitar as he was making it. And it was the most, I kept like, like waiting, like, is it in my email? No, dang it. Refresh my email, okay, no. And, and literally it was, it was just waiting for these pictures to come of this craftsmanship being done. I would have just sat there and watched him do it. And he knew that. So he told me, um, I won't tell you when I'm making it. Um, But there's an artistry in a lot of things. I mean, it doesn't have to be made out of wood. It can be food. If you watch some of these shows like Iron Chef, you can almost taste the food. Like if there was smell-o-vision, you'd be like, yeah, that smells about like what I got in my head. Some of the stuff's a little weird. I mean, some of the ice creams, like with bacon in it or whatever, that's, eh, it might be a little weird. But some of this stuff is like there's this craftsmanship that's put into it. Uh, like Chef Morimoto. Uh, y- you can't hardly understand the guys from J- Japan, but, but man, the food. I just know it's got to be good. It's amazing what people can create with what God has given you. The gifting that he has given us. It's even more astounding that there's this plan that's been laid out since the beginning of time. That God laid out. That had this this perfect plan. He laid out this plan that, that there would be, you know, milestones along the way. You've got the law. You know, the law was given. That's a milestone. Right? You've got the, the people of Israel going through, through the desert and, and they're following a pillar of smoke and a column of fire or column of smoke, pillar of fire, something like that. But they were following through and they would, every so often when there was something that happened, they would make this, this stack of stones as a milestone, as, a, as an altar, a, a marker of time in this plan. And then God raises up Jesus on the cross. And 
that was a milestone. For all of us that believe, this was a milestone that that kind of crushed every other milestone. The perfect life of Jesus, his life of ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead that brings us here today. We're still in the, the book of John, um, and it just happens that we're hitting the resurrection at the same time um, as Easter. Um, that was kind of planned that way. But the title this morning is Risen Indeed. Couldn't really, couldn't really come up with anything creative, more creative than that. Um, but that's one of the most creative statements. He is risen indeed. After... After breath filled his lungs on that day, and he was removed from the tomb, and the stone being rolled away, we see the perfect plan that Jesus, that was Jesus, come to fruition. Turn with me if, you, if you've got it. Otherwise, it'll be up here. John um, chapter 20, 16 through 18. Um, this is the morning after that stone had been rolled away. And the Marys went down to the, the tomb. They, they were going down to, um, to prepare the body because it had been just laid there after the cross. And they get there, and they don't find it. They find the stone rolled away, and they, um, they're going on, and, and Mary's standing there crying, and and Jesus comes along and says to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he... And that, he, um, and that he had said these things to her. Um, the first thought we have this morning is that Jesus defies expectations. He often defies expectations. We can see this in, in so many places in the Gospels. He's defying expectations left and right. People don't expect him to do what he does. Jesus does not fit into what people think that he should fit into. I, I think that's, that's something similar for believers. Sometimes we're, we're, we're thought to be something that we're not. Or we think that we should be a way that we're not supposed to be. The disciples want, want him to be in charge. They want Jesus to be in charge so that they can be in charge with him. Some of the conversations they have, they're talking about who's, who's going to be at the right hand. Who's going to be in charge with Jesus? These are the disciples. They were with him for three years. They didn't understand. The people. The people. Last week we, we talked about the triumphal or the tearful entry. The people wanted him to be king. They wanted him to be a king that would free them from the oppression of the Romans. But they had the wrong impression. The Pharisees just, they just didn't want him. The Pharisees didn't want him because they, not, not necessarily because of him, they didn't want him because they did not want to lose their authority, their power. And everything that they saw in him was a threat to their power. 
They didn't feel that they could control him, so they wanted to kill him. Our expectations are a funny thing. The, the things that we expect are, are kind of strange, right? Have you ever noticed this? Our expectations can really drive our reality. You can have expectations that can change the, your whole outlook of a situation. If we expect something and, and get something less than what we expected, we don't like it, do we? Even though we never really maybe deserve to get that in the first place, but because it's less than what we expected, we get mad. We get hangry, right? Anybody else get hangry? Anybody hangry right now? I, I can hurry up a little bit here. But if we get less than what we expected, if we get more than what we expected, have you ever noticed that, that it can completely lift your mood? It can change everything. You can feel like, man, I just, you're high-fiving people in the parking lot. Hey, I don't even know you, but woo! You ever go to the movies expecting a great movie and you walk out like, what were they thinking? <sighs> Man, those critics, they didn't even get it right. Ugh. I go into the movies, I don't even listen to the critics. I try not to listen to friends. I try not to read anything on Facebook if there's a movie I want to see. I just try to go in with no expectations. I'll tell you what, I enjoy a lot of movies. Well, okay, wait, we've got two kids. I, we don't enjoy a lot of, we, the movies we go to, we do enjoy, though. But with, without going in with those expectations, we try not to watch the big trailers, you know, for, for like the different Marvel movies. We just like, oh, there's a movie coming out. Okay, we're off Facebook, we're off Instagram, we just can't, can't watch any of that, not watching TV. Not that we do anyway, but... It, it, we binge watch stuff, but that's about it. You guys know, right? Netflixers, come on, come on. Rat on yourself a little bit. Um, but we'll go into the movie. You go through the movie, and you're like, that was, that was really kind of good. And then you start looking at what critics are saying, what your friends are saying. They're like, oh, it's so bad. I just, I thought it was going to be better. But that's the difference. I, I, I think if we go in with our expectations super high on everything, we're going to get disappointed. But if we lay our expectations down, more times than not, our expectations are blown out of the water. Now, understand, I'm not talking about our standards. I'm not saying let's lower our standards. Because once you lower standards of certain things, you can never really raise them again. You know that? Have you ever heard that? Anybody? You see... Mary had no expectation that she was going to see a living Jesus when she went to the tomb. No expectation. How do you think she felt when she ran into Jesus? And he said her name, Mary. I mean, she, she diverts over to um, Aramaic, Rabboni, you know. And she, I mean, I just imagined this giddiness. And he says, hey, whoa, 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 don't cling to me. 
So she's going up to hug him. She's probably going to just like, ah, come here. He's like, oh, whoa, oh, whoa, haven't gotten to my father yet. I just need you to go and tell the guys that I'm about to go to the father. She was in a mournful state. She was going to help in, in, in preparing the body of Jesus because it hadn't been prepared. They're going to go and unwrap and then rewrap Jesus for the final burial, right? And she comes away with joy. How hard is that to go from there to there? In our minds, very hard, but it wasn't very difficult at all, was it? It was just the changing of her expectations or the challenging of her expectations that had to take place. Jesus operates this way all the time. Because we operate this way all the time. We operate in a mindset that needs expectations. We're going someplace. We're, we're going to ask people about, hey, what, what do you think of this? And you'll get some, some answer, and, and then you'll be like, well, i got to check that with somebody else just in case. I'm going to cross-reference this. And so you set your expectations from what people tell you. And then you go, and either your expectations are met or it's knocked out of the park. It was not expected in this day and age for God to use a woman to express this either. It was not expected that the first proclaimer of the gospel would be a woman. Because in this time period, a woman's word was not worth as much as a man's. But Jesus was working outside of expectation. Hallelujah, right? Because I don't think the guys would have gotten the emotion of that moment. I'm serious. I don't think they would have gotten it. They'd be like, oh, um, Jesus. Okay. Do you guys remember, I, I told you that these guys were a bunch of knuckleheads, right? Twelve knuckleheads walking around. They stink. They, you know, they're walking around, dirty feet. Jesus washed their feet. He loved them. But they were knuckleheads. I think that the Marys had to come because they brought an emotional content to the gospel that was needed. This is probably the reason why John and Peter ran to the tomb. Because they needed to witness it too. Not because they felt any less for their sister, but they, they did know that the world was not going to necessarily believe them. And did Jesus hang around for them to get there? No. And well, it, you know, again, again with the rivalry, right? We got this rivalry between John and Peter. John always writes about himself in the third person, creepy, um, that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He couldn't say I. <laughs> he couldn't say me. You know, he couldn't say John. He, he said the disciple that Jesus loved. And he talks about how they, they, they run for the tomb, right? And the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. And then Peter. This rivalry, I don't know. Now, and then Peter obviously comes and he gets there and then he pushes past John to get in and, and, and look. So, so Peter beat him, or John beat him there, but Peter beat him into the, into the tomb. 
It wouldn't be until later that they'd get their look at the risen Lord. That they would get the opportunity to have their own change of expectation. John 20, 19 through 23 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the, the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You know that this extends to all believers. From this moment forward, the breath of Jesus going out. Receive the Holy Spirit. The second thought was that Jesus will meet us wherever we find ourselves. They were hiding, weren't they? They were up, they had locked doors because they were afraid of the Jews, and Jesus just appears among them. He met them where they were. Jesus may call us out of a lifestyle that is contrary to the will of God. Ever had that happen? But he comes into where you are, and he meets you there. So you may be in a lifestyle that's kind of iffy, not one that that would really be like, hey, come and hang out with me, Jesus. (laughs) Come on, anybody? But he comes there, and he meets you there. He will meet you in your darkest of moments. You don't hear necessarily people saying, yeah, I had it all. And I, you know, I had the cars, I had, had the fame, I had all. And Jesus met me. Not really, right? Usually you hear people getting to the bottom, getting to the end of their rope, or just getting to the point where they recognize that they can't do it on their own. And he meets you there, bringing forgiveness. He finds us wallowing in that muck of sin behind our locked doors where we least expect him to show up. And this is so powerful how Jesus meets us. Just, am. you know that old song? Just as I am without one plea, but that who shall? I was just seeing if anybody would take it up, but but just as I am, there there isn't a need to go to school to meet Jesus. There's no need to have, you know, Greek and Aramaic and Hebraic translation to meet Jesus. What do you need to meet Jesus? What do you need? An open heart. A non-hardened heart. That's that softening that happens when we get to that place where we recognize that we don't have it and we can't do it. But we know that Jesus can. 
Our belief is therefore not meant to be a static state. Do you know that? It's not, we don't just reach this finish line and go, woo, I got it, I'm done. We don't just get like some fire insurance that we just can tuck into our, our notebook and say, yeah, I'm good. It's, a, it's not a static state. It's still a state of relationship that continues on. We are called to run the race as though to win, but it doesn't say get to the finish line. When do we get to the finish line? Anybody? When we're dead. I love it, Vicky. That's exactly right. When is God done with you? When you're dead. Or when he returns. Yeah, I get Okay, Ron. Very true, very true. But really, that's when it's ended. When it's ended. When this life is ended, when this world is ended, he's done. So if you think you're done, you're not done because you're thinking. Um, John 20, 24 through 29 says, um, this is one of my favorite spots in here uh, in this section. It's with Thomas. And we've talked about Thomas a little bit, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in, into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You know what happens when you say never with God? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. They're hiding again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, again, they're locking the doors from the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas. So he, he, he appears, and he says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas, like, you said never, so i got to get this, okay? Uh, goes right to him. He says, put your finger here. Put your hands and see my hands and put your, uh, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you, be- have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love this moment with Thomas because history has named Thomas Doubting Thomas. People are called a doubting Thomas when they doubt, correct? This is like, this is a term that's been around for 2,000 years. Um, and he's called doubting Thomas. But, but let me point this out to you. Thomas is called doubting Thomas by church history, by leaders in the church years later. He wasn't called this, but, you know, Peter wasn't like, hey, doubting Thomas, how you doing? This is later that this was done. And and I noticed something this time going through this that I hadn't seen before that would have made the other disciples probably a a bit reluctant to cut Thomas down. They probably wouldn't have called him Doubting Thomas because do you realize that Jesus was talking about all of them? Because they all had seen Jesus. And he was saying, hey, you've seen me. Blessed are those that will not see me, but will still believe. He's talking about you and me. He's not talking about the disciples. This is a moment where he is breaking from that traditional of talking about the disciples, and it's inferring us in the future. He's like going, that's great that you guys believe because you saw, and you touched my side, and you, you put your finger in my hands. 
But there are going to be people coming that are going to believe that don't see that. You catch that? I never caught that before. You could be like doubting Peter. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Andrew. I mean, it really could have been any of them. He was commending about every other believer to follow because their faith would not be based on physical evidence, but on spiritual evidence. On what is not seen, the unseen being made real in our lives. With that being said, understand that doubting is not an unusable state in the kingdom. Doubting is not an unusable state for God. Jesus doesn't look at you and go, you're doubting? He appeared to them so that Thomas could believe. He appears to us. He moves in our life so that we can believe. He's always going after that one. Your doubts don't scare Jesus. You know that? Your doubts don't scare him. And doubting, doubting's a part of a questioning relationship. God doesn't want blind followers that are just like, I believe. What do I believe? What line are we in? Blind faith is not really what it's all about. We walk into this relationship with Jesus with our eyes open, our head held high, going, yes, and amen, I want to be a part of that. We don't go in going, I, I heard that there were good cookies. C- could I come too? There might be good cookies. I'm just saying that it's not just that. It's a part of a relationship. Those of you that are married in the room, have you had those, those times where there's doubts or where there's, there's wrestling with that, that communication? Ooh, that's a bad word. Wrestling with, with, wow, I didn't know she would be like that. Or I didn't know he would be like that, right? I mean, there there are things you have to walk through in that relationship. Anybody been in a family? Okay, that that that's uh, yeah, facetious or something. In a family, you have to communicate, and when you're communicating, it's not necessarily like all all fluffy clouds and 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 cotton candy, is it? Sometimes it's like top of your lungs. I don't like that. Come on. (laughs) Kelly and I call it intense fellowship. (laughs) So if you want to use our term, you can. Does anybody have intense fellowship in their family? Yes, okay. See, that's the thing about fellowship. It is not something that's static. Our relationship with our spouse is not static. Our relationship with our family is not static. In this family here, at the church, any church in town, it's not a static relationship. It's a relationship that takes effort. It takes walking through some things. We're supposed to approach this with fear and trembling. What? I mean, that doesn't sound like blind following, does it? Because fear and trembling, that sounds like, whoa, there's, there's something scary coming. I mean, we're not promised, you know, 
rainbows and unicorns. We're, we're promised that there will be struggles in your life. But we, we have Jesus, and he will be with you in those struggles. He will be with us as we walk through this life. Who Jesus is, what he has done, must matter more. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me back up here. The third point for those writing. Jesus' faithfulness is more important than our doubts. Jesus' faithfulness, how he's been faithful to you is more important than our doubts. We can still have those doubts, and we can still walk through those, because you know what? When we walk through those doubts with Jesus, there are moments where we get through and go, why was I doubting that? Why was I? And what I was going into here is this, uh, who Jesus is and what he has done must matter more than our feeble attempts at understanding Who Jesus is should matter more than how we are trying to put together theology. Because if we know who Jesus is, the theology comes along. There's something important about, about getting an education to teach the word, yes. But you know what? Some of that education comes best through life being lived. Not just through a degree, not through college, not through, it, it's, it's walking through life. It's sitting at, at the feet of different masters and watching what they do. It's watching that craftsmanship happening. And there are people that I know you're thinking of right now that have been in your life that are craftspeople, right? They're master craftspeople when it comes to the Lord. When it comes to our faith. And there are people that, that in our history and down in our gut were like, I love them because of what they said to me and how they led me. This is faith. This is faith saying, I believe even when there's no physical evidence that says that I should. Faith is, is that is living at that place at the foot of Jesus. And sometimes the feet of Jesus look like the feet of Bob or the feet of, you know what I'm saying? It may be sitting together with your spouse and working through some of those things because you know what? That relationship matters to Jesus too. And he wants you to sit at his feet when you're walking through hard times. He wants you to sit at his feet when you're going through good times, too. But he knows the importance of being there for us when it's the hardest. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. That thought that he is risen, that one statement that he is risen, Changes all of our expectations. Changes everything in our life. It's changed our world. And I hope that it changes who we are. Amen? 
Won't you stand and let's put your things aside. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that...